is our premier show about cannabis and uh, culture as well as wellness. And um, my name is Cheryl Murray Powell. I'm a cannabis and agricultural attorney. I want to introduce you to my co-host. Uh, she has a tremendous amount of experience in this area. So excited to be working with her, and I'm going to let Walby introduce herself. <laughs> Greetings, my name is Wal. I live here in Florida, and I'm currently working as a registered nurse. I'm also part of the organization team for Rastafari Roots Fest, which is a three-day three annual Sancha festival held in New York, Jamaica. We celebrated our five-year anniversary this past December. Our goal has always been to educate the general public about the health benefits and business opportunities associated with ganja, and to make sure that our Rastafarian community and grassroots communities are not left out of the emerging Excellent. industry in Jamaica. So thank you so much for having me. No, You've always been with us. Absolutely. And I love the concept of Rastafari Roots Fest. I love big ups to Rasai V and all the love he shares throughout the Caribbean, throughout the Americas for ganja and ganja legalization. Um, so I, I just want to talk to you a little bit more about Rastafari Roots Fest. We just finished up Rastafari Roots Fest this past I guess it was the 22nd, the 22nd of this month, the 20th to the 22nd, had a huge headlining act, Chronix, I don't know if you've never heard, no, it's impossible that you've never heard Chronix music, um, and then um, he has a hit with Justin Bieber right now, so the crowd was tremendous, um, the vibes were fantastic as they have been every single year, um, it's held in the grill, and we're actually gearing up for next year. Yes. Um, so, if anyone who wants to be involved in Rastafari Roots Fest, please reach out to us. I also want to share our email address so you can reach out, chirpsinthecity at outlook.com. So, uh, we're looking for a title sponsor, we're looking for people for the booze. Uh, we have a herb area uh, for Rastafari Roots Fest. So, yes. you know, how, why Negril and how did the concept start for Rastafari Roots Fest? So, we were established in 2015 as part of the ongoing lobbying in Jamaica fighting for the legitimacy of the ganja plant and its use by Rastafarians. That year, um, ganja was decriminalized. So, that was a big deal for us. So, we just wanted to establish ourselves to make sure that. You know, we're there to provide information to the farmers and the general public. You know, we need to unite and make sure that we have our place in the industry. So that was the main reason why we decided to do the event. So when you talk about we have our place, are we talking about the diaspora or the original traditional growers, craft growers, um, Rastafari? When we're talking about that we, what does that collectively look like? Mainly, I mean, everyone, yeah. yes, but mainly Rastafarians and grassroots yeah. communities, which has been affected the most by, right. you know, ganja being um, illegal. Right. You know, we've literally died to keep the industry alive. Mm -hmm. So to see outside um, companies coming in, we just want to make sure that, you know, they're coming for the right reasons and not just to take more from the country, but also to put back in and make sure that we're that people can benefit from it. So it sounds like equity in Jamaica and the Caribbean looks a little different than equity in the United States. As you know, um, those of you who followed me um, over the years as an advocate, activist, um, equity is really important. Making sure there's diversity in the cannabis space is critical. Um, and when I travel throughout the Caribbean, I notice there's a slightly different tilt to that view of equity. So just going back to Wall's comments, Rastafarians have literally died for the sacramental ability to use ganja. Um, and it's a great day and we're celebrating um, the fact that 
Now we do have sacramental use in Jamaica. That policy is being replicated in other places. Um, you know, St. Vincent made it made an attempt with sacramental use. Um, I think Trinidad may be looking yes. at it, and other um, other countries. But literally, it was um, where Rastafarians were persecuted because you know raising the flag the flag would be in. Um, would be a controversy because it's raising another flag besides the Jamaican flag or the British flag um, at the time before independence. Um, and um, Ross Farns being beaten in the streets, being jailed for the plant. Um, in the States, we see something similar with people being um, jailed for the plant. And it's really interesting that um, we're having this conversation because one of our guests later, um, Harold Pryor Esquire, is uh, he's a friend. He's a friend to the show. He's agreed to be on our first show. But he is running for a very, very critical, important position um, with Broward County. Um, and he's running for the position of state attorney. So we'll hear more from him as far as, you know, the criminality, the role of the state attorney, how his being elected can change the future of how um, the plant is treated, how patients are treated because of their use of the plant. Um, and again, I believe that even uh, what they call recreational use or adult use is medicinal use because there's a lot of trauma people want to use anonymously. So we'll have a further discussion about that. Um, but just going back to equity and diversity in the space and not forgetting those original growers, the people who uh, paid the price. What are we seeing in Jamaica as far as you know the licenses being given out? The licensing, as far as last year, there were about 13 licenses, like yeah. granted. Yeah. Um, there are many more that applied, mm -hmm. but um, they're really creating the, the laws as they go. You know, everything mm -hmm. is happening so quickly. Um, the average Jamaican farmer, um, some of these licenses are very expensive. Right. So it's important, I think, for us to... Um, network and also join with whether it's local communities or international communities that could really help to propel you know the process it's it's as slower than we'd like to right but it's moving in the right direction so and i'm grateful for that absolutely and we're, we're definitely keeping our eye on what's going on in jamaica i consider jamaica to be the cradle of cannabis um rastafarianism has propelled the movement um, and have, has gifted seed to the world um, to, for ganja to be all over as it is now. Um, you know, just talking about some international news and things that are happening, we'll start stateside. So January 1st, um, state of Illinois went recreational. Right. I know that's really exciting. We see yes. the activity towards uh, expungement. Um, Kim Fox is very much in the news. So what are your thoughts when you see a state like you know, Illinois, where they're going into an adult use space um, versus what's happening in Florida. Right. I think, you know, especially with the expungement, that is a very big step, but I'm really hoping that other states will follow. And they did that on a legislative level. Right. So I'm wondering why is it that other states haven't done that, you know, versus saying, no, it has to be voted in. Like a petition. To, right. Yeah. So just to clarify, like in the state of Florida and a lot of other states, most states have gone at least medicinally um, through a petitioning to a ballot process, and then there are other states where there's uh, progressive legislation. Um, in Florida, the first um, attempt at uh, a ballot initiative, 2000, 
2014 failed by two percentage points. And then 2016, it was successful. But prior to that 2016 um, ballot initiative, there was a legislative act. But that legislative act was extremely conservative, um, low THC, which was 0.8%, which really is limited as far as what it can do for right, an individual. Exactly. You, believe it or not, there are still states, like if you look at Iowa, their THC cap is like 3 or 4%. So what that does is create an environment where the, the dispensaries are even more competitive with the CBD space. Right. So we're, in most states you have you know, over-the-counter um, mom-and-pop shop, um, legitimate sales of CBD, we're seeing where there are certain states where that commerce is being strangled, and Iowa's one of those key states. There's, um, you know, even has even been arrests happening, and because they have such a low THC percentage cap, which is being actually presented in Florida, um, there's uh, a bill that failed last year, and they're making another attempt this year to have a lower THC cap for the state of Florida. And what that does is just create this um, uh, adversarial relationship between the CBD space and the marijuana space. So we don't want to see that. Um, but you know, your point's very valid as far as you know what's going on in Illinois. That we we do want to see those individuals who represent us taking action legislatively to um, have fair and reasonable policies with regards to um, ganja legalization, marijuana legalization. So that's really important. So I, I know in Thailand we've seen some recent legalization. Um, Tilray is exporting to Switzerland. Okay, so yeah, so a lot of exciting international things. Our world is, our cannabis world is getting very, very much smaller. I think Colombia is doing some exportation as well. So Italy. And Italy, yeah. So we're yes, we're growing for you know personal use, which is phenomenal. So in Italy now they passed a law where you can grow at home for your personal use. So that's going to be really exciting. And I was looking at Spain as well, and they you have the ability in Spain to grow for your own personal use, and um, they're seeing some of these like membership clubs opening up. So really exciting times in cannabis. We will talk about that over the next few episodes about what's happening internationally how people can get involved in, in these new and emerging markets, and of course, um, giving respect to Rastafari and the country of Jamaica for what they've done with regards to cannabis. What I'd like to do now is um, invite our first guest on, um, very special to me, my auntie, um, Kandesi Rakim. Uh, she is an innovator, a creative. Um, she sews, she comes up with her own products, and uh, she's going to join us right now. So please join us. We're going to put her right in the middle here, uh, so she'll be in the hot seat. Um, but I'm so grateful that I can have you on the first show. So greetings, auntie. Greetings, greetings. Thanks for having me. My name is Candace Rekem, product developer, Rastafari woman, queen. Give thanks. Give thanks. So I want to I want to take this a little back and talk about you know being a Rastafari woman. Like you are my first impression of Rastafari, and it's always resonated because you've always carried yourself with such grace and uh, definitely as a queen. And and then my cousins Kashai and Beth and how you raised them. 
um, it really left an impression on me. So, you know, I want you to talk a little bit about growing up Rastafari, because there's so many misconceptions. Um, you know, there's been a commercialization of Rastafari as a brand, uh, you know, with the sale of the Rasta cop, caps with the fake locks and things like that. So I kind of want to bring it home to what the reality is. And also, while B, you grew up Rastafari as well. So uh, if you can share your experiences and then let's talk about ganja as a sacrament. Because we get caught up in the money and the millions and all that that's happening. Illinois one day sold $3.2 million worth of ganja or marijuana. But let's go back to the heart of things and looking at the spirituality of it and the sacrament. So I'd like you to speak a little bit about that. Okay. So growing up Rastafari is it's a spiritual trod. It's an in-one conception. It's a way of life. It's, it's not ism as in more religious, it's more spiritual, it's a way of life, it's an everyday liberty, it's not a Sunday liberty, it's an everyday, every moment of your life tradition and trotting Rastafari. It, it reflects on how you carry yourself, how you eat, how you present yourself. There's a responsibility that comes along with with accepting and carrying on the name of Rastafari, accepting his imperial majesty as a divine energy. So there's a certain responsibility about you that you carry yourself with when you take on that title. Um, as far as the commercialization of it, um, now it's a business. And smoking weed and wearing red, gold, and green. Yeah. And there's been a lot of lawsuits and folks that have taken extracts from our way of life as Rastafari and has actually attempted to create business out of it. Yep. You know, the ice gold and green, the colors, the, the word ivory, the word ganja. And there's a lot of people that have really come um, on the fire for using it. And we're stepping up now and, and um, protecting our intellectual rights as a people, Beautiful. as a family. Um, so as it pertains to this sacramental use of the herb, the holy herb. This is how we see it. We see it as a holy herb, not a commercialized product, not a different strain in a CBD and a genetically modified strain, but as a sacramental use in our, as a community, in our communal use of it, in our meditation and our reasoning and our vibration. So the herb is actually held very sacred. And I must say that it's not just smoking the herb. Mm -hmm. It has so many other uses. Um, extracts of the herb in its pure form is used with mental health, with women issues, men issues. It's used as personal care. There's so much that goes Beautiful. that goes along with the herb itself, the tradition, Rastafari. You have a tummy ache, you can drink the ganja tea. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's so many different names, the cannabis, the, all different names. And we as indigenous people of Jamaica know it as ganja, um, marijuana. Mm -hmm. And it's not a commercialized product. It's a spiritual, sacred product to us as a people. Beautiful. And while I wanted to get your insights on, you know, growing up Rastafari with the sacrament, so understanding the sacrament and how it's used for, for healing overall, and, or meditationally. 
Alright, that's mostly what my father. I, I moved away from Jamaica when I was 16. Mm -hmm. So at that time, I didn't use it as much. Mm -hmm. But we would have it, like, for example, the leaves. We would mm -hmm. use it in our salad. Okay. Yeah, so that was good. And my father, he would, I, don't, I know that when he smokes it, he would say that it reveals him to his true self. Right. And, you know, connect with that divine energy that Ms. Candace spoke about. And that's why it was so, you know, we have the Christians that use bread and wine as their religious mm -hmm. sacrament. And to know that there was this herb that was so beneficial to not only us, but mm -hmm. for so many other individuals. We know now, right. which we knew from a long time. Right. But we know now that, it, you know, it helps with PSP. And with women's health, like you said, and to know that we were like victimized and brutalized for just using the plant. Right. You know, it was it was rough growing up. I can imagine. Yeah, my father went to jail so many times. So many individuals that I, you know, grew up knowing I look up to. They were beaten. They were ridiculed in school. It was. Mm. It was rough. So it was a persecuted community. So yeah. it wasn't irregular to see someone just going to jail for ganja in Jamaica, where at the, at the same time it's being promoted as part of Jamaican culture. Exactly. But, you know, during the night of the Indian gatherings, you mm -hmm. know, we would see everyone, mm -hmm. I would see my friends, and we would just have a good time. Yes. We know that in those spaces, we were really harassed okay. in those spaces. So it was good. And these night of functions would go on for sometimes a couple of weeks. That's so amazing. it's good to get away and just be there and you know be yourself. Well, I I, I look I haven't been to a thing yet. I'm looking forward to going and um there's some videos on YouTube as well so people can understand more about the culture and Naya Dingi and a Naya Dingi um uh, event. Um, now in the in the scope of ganja, um, permits are given for sacramental use in Jamaica for um, Rastafari events. Um, uh, so that's a good thing where there can be a gathering and there's a legitimacy around having ganja in that at that particular event, but it's um, governed currently by the Department of Justice in Jamaica, which is very separate from what's happening with the um, Cannabis um, Licensing Authority, the CLA. Right. Awesome. Well, let's we talked a little bit about products and use of ganja in products. Um, and Candace, I know you do products without ganja because we're waiting for the caregiving type regulations for the state of Florida. Um, I would love to see you know caregiving um, where you can really support a community that way of, of people who need healing um, and home grow um, so that you can utilize that knowledge, that indigenous knowledge and create products. But regardless, you are helping people and healing people with your products. So we have a few things with us today. Do you want to talk about um, some of your products, how you came up with the concept of these natural healing, um, good energy products for people. Well, originally, my daughter is, her situation is what actually created the brands. I have three brands. I have Things Vegetarian, Kisha Essentials, which Kisha is named after my two children, Kisha mm -hmm. and Yashima Beth, and Candy Rakem, right. which is named sort of after me. However, um, she had eczema, and as a young mom, I had no idea what it was and how to, um, to heal her, and it was a spiritual vibration that really yeah. brought me to the forefront of healing, and I did, and um, here I am today with three brands. I'm, I'm vegan, so everything that I do is plant-based, 
and um, when it comes to different issues, uh, my products are healing, so I do actually internal and external. Mm -hmm. So there's natural juices and there's natural ways of using teas and herbs to heal yourself and also to use it externally as a um, personal care product, you can actually extract the actual nutrients from the herb and include them in the Perfect. actual formulation of the product. And how does someone get in touch? I know you use Instagram mostly for um, connecting with people who have those types of needs. Um, what's your Instagram so that we can make sure that they get a chance to be in touch with you? Okay. So Candira Kem is the Instagram page. And you'll see this logo, this Africa logo pop up. So it's C-A-N-D-I-R-A-K-E-M. And there's also Kishya Essentials, which is K-I-S-H-Y-A-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S. And there's Things Vegetarian. Yeah. So those are my three connects on Instagram. And we also have a few, um, we have also have a Facebook page. But you'll see when the, the website is launched and you see the updates and all the reviews and the products actually on Instagram. Fantastic. And the phone number, the U.S. phone number is 954-448-5449. Excellent. One last thing, and we want to bring Harold out so we can talk about the criminality aspects of it, but I know there's a total body evaluation that you do. Can you really briefly talk about what that looks like and how it um, gives like a diagnosis of what's going on with a, a person internally. Okay, thank you for bringing that up. So I have a program that is called a whole body analysis. What it is is really two 60 second recordings. One, the individual will speak about anything they wanna talk about. The second 60 second recording is specifically about your health. I will take the, the, that information, that recording, and I will edit it and actually run it through some software, uh, specific software, about eight different software. And the, after the, the, the recording is, is diagnosed, there's points that are called sonostats. Mm -hmm. And there's highs and there's lows, and it actually is more of a vibrational reading of what's going on in your body. It um, covers areas of protein, minerals, vitamin, your heart, your liver, your kidney. So there's these different sections. One section is neurological, one section is post-traumatic stress disorder, so that's your stress area. Mm -hmm. The other is vitamins and nutrients, and the other is muscle. And I'm able to interpret your vibration through the sound, through your voice, and come up with a full, unbelievable report. Well, I'm doing it next week for sure. And I know you're certain you went through a certification program. Yes, this, I did. So uh -huh. this is actually an official discipline um, of uh, mm -hmm. analyzing the voice in these recordings. Well, I I really want to thank you for coming. Thank on. you so much for blessing, having me. Thank you guys blessing. so much. And we're going to bring Harold on now, so we're going to talk a little bit about the impact of um, you know your vote, how important your vote is, and this particular role, especially for the state of Florida, which is one of the most important. Uh, states when it comes to presidential elections, but this particular rule will make history. And um, I want you to follow hashtag let's make history so that um, you can understand all the great things this man is doing. Okay, so guys, don't forget to watch Terps in the City. Watch Terps in <laughs> the City. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so we're going to bring Harold on next. And again, Harold, I've known for 
a few years, um, I went to Nova for one year of law school, and uh, he's a Nova alum, and he's always been so passionate about impacting um, the community, but impacting the law, the approach to law, and really guiding and, and leading young lawyers on a pathway to making an impact. So that's what I really love and appreciate about you, Harold. Um, Thank you. So let's talk about your platform, mm -hmm. the position you're, role, you're running for, and um, your views on, one, voting, but two, how this role will affect the future of not only um, Broward County, but the state of Florida. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me here on your platform, Very sharing the platform with me. This is one of the most important races, I think, in the history of Broward County, and it's also one of the more important races in the state of Florida, and I'd argue the country. Um, the incumbent, Michael Satz, has been in office for 44 years. He's decided not to seek re-election. And so we have an opportunity to make history. When I say let's make history, not for the obvious that I'd be the first African-American to sit in that seat in the history of say Broward County. The first African-American to be the uh, state attorney for Broward County. Wow. But let's make history in so many different viewpoints. Um, when you look at low-level drug offenses, possession of cannabis, when you look at um, issues dealing with mental health, yep. when you look at issues of direct filing or, or filing or charging children as adults, uh, when you look at how we allocate the resources of um, the taxpayer dollars, it's important because we have an opportunity to make history here in Broward County. My platform is I'm running to initiate ground-level criminal justice reform while not compromising the safety of our communities. Yes. And so we have an opportunity to, like I said, not prosecute low-level drug offenses, use those resources in areas where we can focus more on serious crimes. Um, another thing is to um, actually get people with mental health issues the help that they need rather than throw them in the prison or the jail system. Right. Um, an interesting fact that I learned not too long ago was that Broward County has a budget of somewhere around $300 million to actually manage the county jail system as a whole. Wow. And of about 30 million of that budget is used, 20 to 30 million of that budget is used to house or help those people with health issues and also mental health issues. So if you go in with some type of health issue, mm -hmm. we have to take care of you while you're right. in And so I think it's important for us as state attorney's office to look at the people that we're serving. We have to understand the communities that we're serving. And if you can't look at that person that you're bringing charges against as a human being, then you shouldn't be a prosecutor because you have to look at every circumstance. You have to look at every factor. And we have to ensure that justice is being administered fairly and equitably. Uh, when you look at the criminal justice system in the state of Florida, not only in the state of Florida, but throughout the country, yeah. the criminal justice system has been traditionally stacked against people of color, black folk, and yeah. poor people. Right. And we see that if you don't have the means, the socioeconomic status, you're probably going to have a losing cause in the criminal justice system. And so that's why I think it's important to have someone like myself who's experienced the criminal justice system from so many different vantage points to serve in this position. And so I'm excited about our opportunity, and I'm ready to make history. Well, I appreciate you coming on, and I really love the fact that even when you're considering criminal justice, you are, haven't forgotten the mental illness piece. And yeah. I was reading an article I think I posted on my Facebook today about um, how the emptying of the mental health facilities is contributing to our homelessness issue. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of times people aren't, aren't connecting the dots where that's concerned. Exactly. Um, I, Wall and I were talking earlier and we were just reflecting on, you know, 
we all know people who have gone to jail for a cannabis charge. So that's an issue that's really important to me, the people who follow me on Facebook. The, the show is called Terps in the City for a reason because, right. of course, terpenes are present in, in marijuana and, and hemp and um, cannabis overall. So, um, you know, looking at the fact that a cannabis charge has traditionally been the gateway to the prison system. Yes. How do you look to, um, with the change in legalization, approach your role from that standpoint? Right, and it, it's a policy standpoint, and then also it goes to the actual um, ground-level um, aspect of it, which I'm really focusing on, right? Yeah. So you have the legislators in, in Tallahassee, which haven't done a great job, right, which we know why, because it's stacked up with one party. Mm -hmm. But our legislators down in South Florida, they've been great. Representative Bobby DeBose and many others um, mm -hmm. have done a really great job up there. But that's a policy issue. But when you look at it on a local issue and a local level, I think there's things that I can do as a prosecutor. Mm -hmm. um, look, I, I think we have same experiences. Look, I have family members who've been in and out of the prison system, and they were caught with low levels of marijuana, weed, whatever you want to call it, right? And it gets them to the criminal justice system. They're not bad people. They're using it for recreational purposes. Um, what I've said throughout my election, throughout my campaign, is that we're not going to prosecute low-level marijuana cases. So... My policy will be, if it's 20 grams or less, we're not prosecuting it. So that pretty much eliminates all misdemeanor cases. Right. We know misdemeanor cases in the country, in the state of Florida. Uh, misdemeanor court is called the people's court because mm -hmm. most people come into contact with the criminal justice system right. through the misdemeanor court system. So I think that's the first policy standpoint there. Right. To, to eliminate people's um, contact or, 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 or um, interactions with the criminal justice system right. through the misdemeanor level. So that lowers the caseloads and that lowers us exposing people of color or people who are Rastafarians, who, who use it for religious reasons or people right. that, uses, that uses it for medicinal purposes. Right. We're not putting them into the criminal justice system. Then when we look at the overall policy standpoint, we see throughout the country there is a shifting in policy on that where recreational use is becoming more accepted. And I think the criminal justice system have to be lockstep with that and we have to move with our policies ground level in complying with that. Um, unfortunately, it's still illegal on the books, uh, but I think there's things that we could do. Like I said, if it's 20 grams or less, we're not gonna prosecute those. If it's a little and bit medical higher, marijuana patients, I agree. we're not gonna prosecute I agree, and that, is, and that is my, that is my stance. When we go a little bit higher than 20 grams, my policy, with my case followers in the office, will be to look at each case on a case-by-case basis. Yes. If someone has an amount that's so, somewhat over 20 grams and it's being used for medicinal purposes or, or what have you, we're probably not going to prosecute that. Right. Um, so, but I see there's a role that the state attorney's office has in this where we can look at these issues and, 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 and look at the criminal justice system and ensure that it's being administered equitably and justly for everyone that's involved. Thank you so much. And you and I have had some detailed conversations about drug court, and I'm yeah. super passionate about drug court um, as a diversion program. One, because um, I interned with uh, Judge Tobin Singer. I also interned with Judge Destry when I was in law school. Yeah. Um, so Judge Tobin Singer, she is um, one of the drug court um, uh, judges. But I also, uh, through my law firm, Dumar Allsworth et al., um, got a chance to meet the original drug court uh, guy, uh, Judge Fagan, and yeah. um, he shared some of the background and history about drug court as a diversion program. So um, what, what can we do with increasing the awareness that there is this diversion opportunity where something won't be on your record because you participate in diversion? 
the challenge I have is, um, you know, because we don't have awareness about these diversion programs, people, especially juveniles, assume that, hey, I'm a juvenile, it won't affect my record, right. when if they have a, another charge as an adult, when they're calculating the points for sentencing, that juvenile um, event can affect their sentencing yeah. in the future, and a lot of people are not aware of it. So how do we raise awareness about diversion programs overall and specifically drug court? That's a great question. I think that's twofold. Um, it starts on the home base. When I'm state attorney, we have to train our prosecutors to, to understand scenarios and situations where someone might be a candidate for drug court, right? Right now, the, 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 I think the standard for drug court is okay, but I think it needs to be expanded. I think right. it's a little dated, right? Okay. So, for example, if you, right now, if you, if it's your first felony offense and it's a dealing with purchase or possession of a controlled substance or an offense that's related to that, then you can go into drug court. Um, I believe that we should expand it. I think mm -hmm. the people that actually have the issues with drug court are the people that are sometimes the two times, the three times, the four times, mm -hmm. or five time offenders. Right. Um, from personal experience with family members who've struggled with addiction, um, seeing that the struggles that they had, and they weren't bad people, they had an addiction, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to figure a way to expand that program to ensure that we actually get the people in there that actually need the help that they need, mm -hmm. get the help that they need. Um, secondly, with that, I think that um, some of the offenses, we need to expand some of the offenses. It's all stemming from possession or the purchase, right? right? Great um, point, yeah. From experience, once again, with family members, close friends, and, and, and by product of where I grew up, a lot of the people who were addicted to drugs or who had drug issues, some of the crimes that went along with that were crimes to actually support their drug habit, right? right. It was the grand thefts. It was um, some forms of burglary, right? Uh, some of them were nonviolent offenses. I think we need to expand some offenses that we actually will allow people to come in there because ultimately this court is to be therapeutic in nature and actually help those people and get them the help that they need. And uh, so as state attorney, I'll advocate. It won't be my only decision. There's mm -hmm. other stakeholders in that. There's court administration, public defender's office, yep. uh, Florida Department of Corrections, as you know. And um, I think I'm leaving someone out, Broward County Sheriff's Office. And so I think I'll work with them to try to expand those requirements and eligibility requirements. Uh, but I think those are twofold. Just, you know, reforming drug court in and of itself to expand it, to, to make it a little bit more inclusive, but also to train our prosecutors to understand scenarios and situations that might work for them. And you do a great job of, of working collaboratively. So I like your, your two-pronged approach to the reformation of, of drug court. My last question for you has to do with appeals. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we have, you know, again, we have mass incarceration mm -hmm. um, where, you know, you have an opportunity to change some of that dynamic. Yes. Um, when we look at the appellate process and new information being presented, what influence does your role have on these appeals with these incarcerated bodies when there's more information available, laws are changing? What impact will your role have on the... Um, the strategy for the prosecution going into these appeals. Yeah, um, so I think I, one thing I can commend the current state attorney for doing is they created this conviction interrogatory unit. Um, so those who have been wrongfully convicted, those that deserve to be exonerated from crimes that they were actually prosecuted for, they're given the opportunity. That's a recent development. I think it's I recent, just read it right, right, last it's, year. Right, it's a recent development. Fantastic. It was just created several months ago, probably at the end of last year. 
Yeah. Um, now they just have a community panel. They actually have a community panel of it. community members, former attorneys and current attorneys. And so if you're in prison mm -hmm. and you've been wrongfully convicted or you believe you've been wrongfully convicted, you can submit your appeal to our office, the state attorney's office. They'll review it and um, they'll go from there. I think that's the first step. Um, I think what I would do a little bit differently, I would totally and within my power to make that unit an independent unit of my office to ensure that, that it has a level of trust there from the members of the community and uh, those who have been wrongfully convicted and to, 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 to eliminate any form or, or any disguise of being uh, any form of impropriety, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's a great idea. It's something that I would keep once I'm elected. It's yeah. something that I would expand on. Um, another component that I would put within the Conviction Integrity Unit was to make it essentially a independent auditing unit of my office to audit my current prosecutors. So we don't have this issue in the future because we're looking in the past, right? right? But also we need to ensure that we're not wrongfully convicting people in the future and that actually we're comporting with the basic principles of justice, fairness, and equality. And so um, I think that is one way yeah. to fix this issue. Um, that is to hold ourselves accountable, right? But also keep our feet to the fire when looking back at people who've been wrongfully convicted. I think whenever you've been in an office or whenever someone's been doing something for 44 years, there's always going to be room for a, a slip up, right? Or where someone's been wrongfully convicted. And I think this was a great first step for them. Mm -hmm. um, it's imperfect, but I think it's great. I give them kudos. Um, I give kudos to the woman who's running it now. Her name is Ariel, and I think she's doing a great job. And I think we can continue on that and build build that unit. Thank you so much. Well, I'm fired up about the opportunity that's presented with you running for this office. Thank and you. thank you to um, Mr. Sachs, State Attorney Sachs, who's um, held it for 44 long years. Um, and it's great to have a new opportunity. How can someone support your campaign? Well, there, there's several ways. Uh, this is a historic campaign. It's a nine-person race. Uh, there's ways that you can get involved by helping us by phone banking, knocking on some doors, uh, donating whatever you can. The max that you can give, five, $10, $15, $200, $1,000 is the max that you can give. Um, but also spreading the word about my campaign. Uh, you know, Like I said, I'm running an institute, ground-level criminal justice reform, while not compromising the safety of our communities. Um, I think I'm the best person for the job because I've experienced the criminal justice system from so many different vantage points. Uh, from the vantage point of having family members and friends brutally murdered, um, also from the vantage point of having family members who were put into the criminal justice system because of a drug addiction or a mental health issue, but also from simple from the standpoint of being a married man with a two-year-old son. And I worry every day I'm going to raise my two-year-old black boy in this dangerous right. world. Um, and, and legacy as well, because your yeah. your dad was a corrections yeah, officer my, as well. So right. you, you had that view growing up, and exactly. then you jumped into the law to make a difference. Exactly. And, and you know, we, we, we had I was the only kid on my block, only boy on my block with my mom and dad in the household. And so that had a profound effect on me, but we still had to work hard to not succumb to the pressures that was around us on a day-to-day. And so I'm running for people like that. I'm running for... My son, I'm running for your son, I'm running for everyone's children, uh, because we have to have a safe environment, but also I'm running because I understand that we have a criminal justice system that's been traditionally stacked against colored folk and poor people. And I think it's time that we have people in these positions, like the state yeah. attorney's office, to actually understand the people that we're serving. And I'm ready, I'm excited, 
And I, I truly believe that we're going to make history and we're going to win this race. Thank you. And your website is? Yes. And you can please contact me. You can look me up on www.heraldprior.com. Look me up on Instagram, HP for State Attorney. And uh, let's make history. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, for you so me. much. And Thank we'd so like much. to close out the show on that note. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have feedback on our show, if you would like to be a future guest, um, if you would like to sponsor uh, Rastafari Roots Fest as a title sponsor, um, booth sponsor, if you'd like to perform there, um, there are a lot of different ways that you can get involved with what we're trying to create here. Um, just email chirpsinthecity at outlook.com. That's chirps, T-E-R-P-S, in the city at Outlook.com. Um, if you have any feedback or any ideas for the show, um, we're also crowdfunding talent. So we're not really saying, hey, send us money for the show, but if you are a web designer, we need a website. If you There's other talents and gifts that you have that you will uh, contribute to these, this creative project. We would welcome it. So Terps in the City at Outlook.com. Thank you so much for joining us on a Sunday. Any thoughts, Juan? Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you sharing your platform with me. Thank you for being here. And Ken Daisy, I can't wait to try these products. Definitely. Tell us your Instagram page again. Candy Raken. Ask Candy, C-A-N-D-I-R-A. K-I-M. K-I-M. And I want, I want to shout out our producer and uh, video person <laughs> and just a great resource help, Nikki Lopez. Please follow Nikki Lopez. Um, she has an awesome show that I happened to be on last year uh, in the circle with Nikki Lopez. So we want to share the love, share the support. A lot of di information coming from different places. A lot of God-given, jaw-given talent and purpose coming forth on this platform. So we give thanks. And have a wonderful Sunday and evening. You can follow us on Instagram yes. at Rastafari Roots Fest or yes. on our website, RastafariRootsFest.com. That's Roots with a Z. And we're looking forward to hearing from you and hoping to see you in the group this December. Are there dates yet for the next one? We're working on it. So we're <laughs> you have to stay tuned because we're going to share the dates for the next Rastafari Roots Fest. Also, we have Rebel Salute happening in Jamaica. That's yes. one of my favorite times. Rastafari Roots Fest. And Rebel Salute are my favorite times in Jamaica's roots and culture. It's pure vibes, pure good people. Um, and that will be, um, the I think it's the 17th and 18th of this month. Um, I will be in Jamaica enjoying the concerts. Please join me. We want to support. All right? Have a great Sunday. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.